Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? Sup, haters? <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I asked. I know exactly how it's going, because we just spent like an hour talking about nothing. And everything. Yeah. And now we're going to talk about something. Fatal Frame O-N-E. <laughs> Fatal Frame 1. Fatal Frame Oh, man. One. I hate it every time, but we're going to keep doing it. You got stuff. So before we get too deep into Fatal Frame 1, uh, as always, this episode is brought to you by you. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to learn more and help support the show. And we spoil shit. Blanket spoiler warning. Spoiler if you're listening forever. to this, yeah, we're going to spoil. Yep. Join the Haters Club, Patreon. Is that what we should call it? The Haters Club? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Uh, join the Haters Club. Do do some good for yourself. Treat yourself to more episodes of this show. Just just a dollar a month can feed a, a hungry, fat, white guy in Texas. <laughs> can feed two big, hungry babies. <laughs> That's us. We're hungry for more, and you're hungry for more content. Yeah. Uh, also, we gotta buy those expensive PS2 games, so <laughs> pony up, suckers. Yeah, we're we're definitely getting good at the workarounds, but eventually we're going to have to eBay some of these games. So, <laughs> and you know, new stuff. Uh, we have some new stuff that's there's like a bunch of new releases in August. Yeah, for some reason, no one's sending us free Steam keys. Come on, publishers. Yeah, what's up with that? Come on, y'all cowards don't even smoke crack, dude. <laughs> uh, for some reason, Bloober Team isn't giving us free games. Yeah, someone get us in touch with Bloober Team and uh, tell them that, you know, we love them. So. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, Fatal Frame. Yeah. Is a game that came out on the PS2 in O2 in the US. I really love the Fatal Frame series. Uh, although, I guess upon reflection, it's mostly the second game. Uh <laughs> So, Fail Frame 2 is like all-time classic status. Yeah, so I've heard. And you haven't played it, right? No, so the only experience I have with the Fatal Frame series is playing Maiden of Blackwater on the Wii U. Because I was that right, one which, guy that had a Wii U. Yeah, and that's the fifth game in the series. Right, yeah. Four never came to America. Um, it got a fan translation. That was a Wii game. Mm-hmm. And there... There was a two remake on Wii also, and then one through three are on PS2. Yeah, with four, there was actually a big campaign to get it brought over. It was part of that whole campaign to bring a bunch of Wii games over, and it worked for some games. Like, we got uh, Last Story. Yeah, I think GameStop published that one or something. Something weird like that. Yeah, so a bunch of games were successfully brought over to America due to fan demand, but Fatal Frame 4, no dice. Uh Yeah. But like you said, there's an English fan patch, so we're gonna play it. Mm-hmm. So and that's kind of fun. Unfortunately, five only came out digitally in North America. If you're in oh, Europe, okay. you can get a disc version, and it's still stuck on Wii U. So, Koei Tecmo <laughs> needs to get their shit together and port it to Switch. Yeah, absolutely. Because I assume that the the Wii controller was kind of used as like the camera. Yeah, um, but. 
after a couple minutes, you would definitely switch to traditional controls after the gimmick ran out. Oh, sure. It was it was kind of nice though, like because you know we'll talk about this, but one of the main mechanics in Fatal Frame is aiming a camera and, and pointing it at ghosts. It did sort of feel natural, like pointing your controller around and looking through yeah. it. But uh, yeah, it's, it was just kind of gimmicky, and I hate motion controls, so I disabled that pretty quickly. But you could do that on the Switch, is my point. And oh, totally. It might actually be really cool if you were playing in handheld. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I didn't really do that with uh, Breath of the Wild. I know that you can do that style of aiming for like projectiles in Breath of the Wild. Mm. Uh, I didn't do that because I didn't really like it, but... Uh, in handheld mode with a game like this, I could actually maybe fuck with that. Yeah. I've never been a fan of motion controls. Even when they were novel, I thought they were kind of dorky. So It's a mixed bag. I mean, I definitely... So, like, I had a Wii, and I really loved the Wii because it had so many great games. But I definitely put up with it more than I, like, liked the motion controls. But yeah. there were certain games where it was actually pretty cool, like it integrated itself really well. Anything that's like first person or first person ish uh, works pretty well. Yeah, sort of I, like, I actually take it back a little bit. I think Splatoon did it well. Um, oh, sure. And I guess that would work a lot with like first person shooter games with when you're mm-hmm. playing with a controller just to get a little more accuracy. Anything that like mouse control would be cool. Mm. You could actually do a decent simulation with the motion controls. It just depends on how fine tuned they are and how accurate they are. Right. Which was always the issue was getting it set up like where you put the sensor bar, how far away you are from it, how you should position yourself. And it ended up being a lot of thought for not a lot of payoff. I would say. I yeah. Think was the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, anyway, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, so fatal frame was exciting when it came out. Uh, and I, I played this game when it came out mm-hmm. and it was really, really exciting because this was sort of in the peak area of J horror yes. and the East Asian horror boom. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the first run survival horror games, they really wanted to cater towards Western audiences, you know, clearly with Silent Hill, with Resident Evil 2, um, you know, those are very Romero inspired so a lot of Fatal Frame's predecessors definitely catered towards the Western crowd. And Fatal Frame was super J-horror. I mean, there's not a right. Western name in the game. Right. Well, and so it's kind of nuts because the survival horror boom, I guess, so the original big wave of these games was like 96, you know, was the beginning of it with Resident Evil. And Silent and Hill was, it, what, 99? 99. Yeah. Uh so you can sort of see that original wave of them being like 96 to 99 or 96 to 2000. Mm-hmm. The J-horror boom was really kicked off by Ringu in yeah. Japan, which became The Ring in America. And that movie's like, I want to say 98, 99. Uh, so you can see just like them being a few years apart. It makes a big difference because survival horror had already been established as like, okay, it largely has these Western aesthetics and influences and then suddenly this huge sea change happens then it's like oh no actually people all over the world are interested in you know japanese aesthetics yeah uh, in in the context of horror and especially once you know the ring comes out which is like a couple years after ringer so that's like 
2000, 2001, mm-hmm. um, which is when this game comes out. And at that point, it's just like a huge phenomenon all over the world. Uh, but you still weren't seen because survival horror had already been kind of created and uh, ensconced as this like more Western influence genre, at least aesthetically, you weren't seeing a ton of games that had that J-horror influence or even that Japanese influence. So Fail totally. Frame was like really exciting. Yeah, I was always disappointed in the de-Easternization of these films because you know each one of the popular ones had a, a Western remake and right. they were never as good as the source material. So I, yeah. I always, you know, even as a kid, I always thought that was like really stupid. Just release the Eastern film as it is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a big fan of The Ring. Mm-hmm. And other than that, all of the Western remakes are just fucking garbage. Like, they're not even worth acknowledging as existing. That one had <laughs> Naomi Watts, right? Yeah, dude. Shout out <laughs> Naomi Watts. <laughs> yeah, dude. Our favorite actress, mm-hmm. Naomi Watts. I loved her in Deadly um, Premonition. Oh, man. She was great as Emily. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I totally agree. And what's cool about Fatal Frame to me. So I'm like a huge J-horror and Asian horror freak. It's like my favorite thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I will try not to dotter on too long about this. <laughs> but what I really like about Fatal Frame is that the influences that they took from J-horror are not exactly what you'd expect. So like J-horror has a lot of tropes um, because a lot of it is based on like very, very old Japanese myths and legends. Right. So like the most famous and the most recognizable one is obviously like the long hair woman, Mm -hmm. which is like a woman in a white robe with long black hair obscuring her face. Right. And like that was you know, repopularized by Ringu and then the ring. And so it's becomes very visible thing. And if someone ever wants to make a reference in general to J horror, just an offhand visual reference, they use that. Yeah. Silent Hill four. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or just, I mean, Oh God, anything fucking guilty gear, uh, (laughs) you know? And so that is definitely in this game. Like, don't get me wrong. Totally. But, this game also just in terms of its tone and some of the scares and things like that, to me, it draws a lot more from some of the like Japanese B horror. Mm. Uh, like there's a really long and like pre, you know, the J horror boom tradition of like Japanese B horror movies, uh, stuff like uh, the Guinea pig movies, which are these crazy yeah. over the top gore movies um, stuff like uh, the, the, the long tradition of like Japanese zombie movies, you know, that are all like really weird and like schlocky and cool. Uh, the other contemporary influence, I think that this game may have been drawing from, although it's sort of happening at the same time. So who knows, but, um, was like the Japanese TV horror movies. Hmm. Uh, so Japan had a really cool thing going on during the J horror boom where they were getting these big directors to make like horror movies for TV. So they were a little lower budget. They were like a little schlockier and they had a different vibe, but they're really, really cool. I mean, the most famous one is the original grudge, uh, mm. like the original Zhuan, the grudge movie was actually a TV movie. Uh, and it has a TV sequel as well. That's separate from like the theatrical films. Uh, and those might actually be 
better than the theatrical release, which is crazy because that movie's awesome. Um, so, and, and that's Takashi Shimizu, like the director who made that. There's another one called Kure, which was directed by Kyoshi Kurosawa, who's sort of like my pick for like the all-time great of Japanese horror. Really? Uh, yeah. He also did um, Pulse and uh, Cure, which is a really crazy movie. Holy shit, Cure is so good. I need to check uh, all of these out. Dude, Kyoshi, oh, man. Kyoshi Kurosawa is like the dude where it's like if n- someone had never seen a Japanese horror movie and they wanted to see something that was just like really unimpeachably good and wanted to understand what it was all about. It's like, just mm. go fucking watch Kyoshi Kurosawa. But he, so all of his movies are like pretty big deal, like even in America, but Kure is the one that not a lot of people have seen. Cause it was like a TV movie and uh, you had to pirate it to watch it. At least when I watched it back <laughs> in the day. Um, but it's, it's very cool. Uh, because it, it's like his style so it's very classy it's very well made but it's like a tv movie so the acting isn't as good and it's like a little cheaper looking hmm. and it actually ends up having like a really interesting style overall because of that contrast um there's also one more that i'll mention just one more sorry <laughs> uh is that i'm not 100 sure if this was a tv movie but it was like in the same style where it's like very low budget very small crew um but there's a companion movie to the film adaptation of Junji Ito's Uzumaki oh. uh, that's called Long Dream, which is based off the Ito story of the same name. <laughs> Such a cool story. Such a cool story. Yeah. But they basically made like a short-ish film. I think it's still probably like an hour long uh, that has a way lower budget, but has a lot of the same cast and crew as the film version really? of Uzumaki. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Have you seen that movie? No. Dude. I, I've stayed away from all of it because I love his comics and I'm afraid none of it's going to like live up to the comics. Well, so Uzumaki rips that yeah. movie is fucking great. It's so, so, so good. I mean, they changed a lot, but they did it in a really smart way so that it would actually work well as a film. I'm a mm. huge fan of that movie, but that same cast and crew made this like short, low budget um, called long dream. It almost feels like a test run for Uzumaki. Like even some of the effects in it and stuff feel like a test for hmm. uh, like a screen test for Uzumaki. But um, super cool. You should absolutely check that out. Like I know that t- I've mentioned to you the adaptations of Jinjito's Tomie stuff are like very, very mixed bag. But uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, it, it never really gets up to the level of comics. But the Uzumaki and Long Dream adaptations are chef's kiss a plus uh <laughs> super good shit but netflix anyway. should pull a castlevania anime and do a junji ito black and white cartoon <laughs> yeah well you know what's a bummer about netflix is that netflix used to have the license that granted them access to all the tartan asia extreme stuff mm. which was like the original big imprint of all of these j-horror movies like back in the day and that was how I watched all these movies back in the day was that uh, Hollywood video, video used to carry Tartanasia Extreme. Mm. And then when Hollywood Video closed, Netflix somehow, I don't know if it was Stars or whoever owns the license, they had a contract with Netflix. And so all of this like crazy like Asian horror shit was on Netflix. And I was just like, I was slopping it up like a goddamn hog. Um, <laughs> back in the old Netflix days. Oh, dude, the Netflix days. Okay, you know, oh my God, no one else... 
has made that joke, but I say that all the fucking time. Holy oh, shit. I heard it on a Demon Daddies episode, so. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm talking about. The Netflix logo used to have really shitty kerning, and the L and the I were really close together, and it totally <laughs> said Netflix. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> they did it oh. on purpose. Oh, yeah. Netflix. Netflix and chill, dude. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, back in the Netflix days, they had all of this like Asian horror shit on there, and uh, it's a bummer. It all like went away one day, and I think it was the Stars contract, but it could have been mm-hmm. some other distributor. Like they just the contract ended, all the shit went away, and uh, yeah, Netflix sucks. But yeah. so this I mean, might okay. like sound like a massive tangent, but it does circle back to uh, Fatal Frame because Fatal Frame is yeah. J horror AF. Yeah, and specifically to me, it has the vibe of like a sort of kind of chintzy, low-budget TV movie, Mm. but it's cool. Well, the English voice acting does not help with that image. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, you know, we played this on PS2, and it only has English voices. There's no option to put it in Japanese, so... Yeah, it, there there is a layer that's taken away from the immersion because of that. Yeah, so the voice acting in this game is really cheesy and bad. Uh, the one thing I will say is that quite a bit of the voice acting is like run through filters and coming yeah. from ghosts, and yeah. that stuff is actually kind of cool. Yeah, all the ghost voices are pretty cool, and uh, even sometimes as they're like they're dying, they'll give you a hint. They'll just like say something like, "Yeah, yeah." It's like bad acting plus effects equals okay. Yeah, that's good math. I like that math. It's just, it's just like playing guitar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throw some reverb on it. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. So, I mean, so, just yeah. a little more context in terms of like, this game came out in 02. It was the, it came out about like a month around Resident Evil 1 remake. Oh, um, visually, I think it's a step back from that because... Of course, we don't have pre-rendered backgrounds. Everything's drawn on the fly. But in terms of camera angles, uh, many are almost static, but they do some dynamic stuff like following you down a hallway, even though the perspective mm. won't, won't change much. Yeah. And then in certain rooms, the camera gets a little twisty, and th- there's always a sense of like being sort of lost because the camera isn't doesn't always work with you. Yeah, I think on a technical level overall, this game is weird because it's one of those transition games. It's yeah. kind of caught between a few different ideas. So, like, I'm going to talk about Fail Frame 2 a lot in this episode. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> like, Fail Frame 2 really figures all this shit out. And so going back to the first one, it's kind of like, oh, you didn't quite have it figured out. And a big thing in this game... so. The hook of this game is basically you are exploring an old haunted ass Japanese mansion mm-hmm. and you have a magical camera that can capture ghost spirits. Right. And so you use this camera to fight ghosts. All the combat takes place in first person. Yeah. So the cool thing about the game then is, yeah, there's no pre-rendered backgrounds. Everything's full 3D because when you go into combat, you're in first person. Yeah. So technically the whole game is alternating between third and first person even though you can't play the whole game in first person because you walk really fucking slow when you have your camera out (laughs) um 
Which which tracks? I mean, I shoot video and photo on a DSLR with no image stabilizer in it, so yeah, you walk really slow. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, that's like the hook of the game, and so it's technically really impressive, right? For a game from 2001, that it's like you can go always go into first person mode, and you like have to. Yeah, but, and the the game also runs at a rock solid 60 frames. Yeah, super smooth. Now, on the other hand. Uh, there's a fucking static, mostly static camera angles. Yeah. And like you said, they get cinematic and swoop around sometimes, which is cool. But a lot of times they're just in really weird angles and you end up opening the map constantly. Yeah. Survival like, horror roots uh, definitely uh, show themselves a lot in I terms mean, of cinematic camera angles. Right, and the last game we played for this show was Silent Hill, the original Silent Hill, yeah. and it's crazy how similar this game is to that in those ways. It's like, there's this crazy technical step up, but mm-hmm. nuts and bolts, it's like the same as the original Silent Hill. Yeah. Very PS1 feeling. Yeah, and so, I mean, it, this is actually our first Tecmo game, which is surprising, but uh, yeah, this was created by uh, Keisuke Kikuchi, who worked on the first couple Deception games. Right. And uh, Makoto Shibata. And so Shibata was sort of the, like, scenario designer, and it was inspired by uh, nightmares he had as a kid about ghosts and a couple paranormal experiences he had in his real life. Um, Like, of hearing voices in the woods, like voices of kids in the woods and stuff. And then he said a a ghost grabbed him on a cliffside or something like that. Crazy. Yeah, and you can tell the game has a really different vibe to the horror. Like, obviously a lot of it is from being in first person and having Mm -hmm. ghosts rush at you. But there's also a lot of just little scenarios that the game sets up. And the game is constantly throwing, like, apparitions at you, ghostly voices... There's stuff just happening all the time. It's kind of like a sensory overload in some ways, which right. is really, really different from... I mean, Resident Evil was more like sort of building tension and then leading to a shock. Silent Hill was more like a slow burn, just always fucking with you. This game, it's like it's trying to overload you with weird little tiny micro scares. Yeah, it's it's an interesting mix of like arcadey like catch it while you can sort of thing yeah it's weird a little bit of a collect-a-thon maybe yeah there's a pokemon snap element for sure yeah well and you get points for capturing these like harmless ghosts that pop up and then you use the points to upgrade your camera (laughs) yeah it is kind of it feels a little weird but if you've played the series you're you're used to it but like if you just take it out of context it's like huh it's a little weird. Yeah, the first time you play this game, um, like if you're not familiar with the series at all, you're probably going to do really bad. And so the point is to get the ghosts as they're rushing you. That's when you do the most damage with your camera and you can capture right. them easiest. But as a first time player, you might not figure that out. And so you might just yeah. waste a bunch of film, like, snapping these ghosts, like, trying to get a good framing or whatever, you know, as a, as a Pokemon snap photographer. Yeah. <laughs> you might not do so great. Um, which I sort of had that problem at the beginning of the game, and I got really low on resources towards the end, but I guess mm. we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I think that 
ironically, this game is not a good place to start if you're new to the series. Like, it's actually kind of a terrible place to start. <laughs> you should definitely play Fatal Frame 2 first yeah. and then go back and play this game. Because, like, for me, having played 2 and 3, I had played this game before, too, but I hadn't really replayed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to it now... I definitely didn't have as much trouble with it as you did just talking to you about it. Cause like, just cause I know the series and I know how you're supposed to play it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also just, we'll talk about it, but it doesn't have its shit figured out. Like the basic ideas of what this series would become and how the combat would work and all the shit are in here, but it's, it's super not figured out. Yeah. Um, so it, it takes heavy cues from resident evil uh, in terms of like, okay, you're in a mansion and progression is based on like finding new rooms and things like that. The the difference is um, a lot of the pro- progression is less logical. So instead of you know, oh the the lock has an armor, a picture of armor on it, so I need the armor key. And then once you get the armor key, you can unlock those doors and get more things. It's less logical. Like doors are locked based on like ghosts, and then you have to go find the ghost take a picture of it and it'll unlock that door um yeah you'll take a picture and an image will appear as if by magic and then you have to go to the place in the image or find the item in the image yeah so it's resident evil-y but at the same time there's like i don't know this sense of weird randomness and there the game is based on four nights and each night the mansion sort of resets and doors might be locked and you have to go to a different ghost to unlock it. So it's really weird and illogical in that way. And it's it's, it's very heavy on the backtracking. Yeah, totally. I think that. So okay, here's my take on it. Because you were kind of you were kind of talking to me about this, and I was like, oh man, I hope he doesn't just hate every game in this series. Because like, <laughs> it's sort of a another thing that if you've played the other games, you just sort of understand is kind of inherent to the series, which is that. The games are built around returning to the same area or areas and like getting new puzzles. And the puzzles are based on, yeah, kind of like illogic. Like you take a picture and it tells you to go here and you have to go there. And it's less about item based puzzles like Resident Evil. And mm-hmm. it's more about just kind of unlocking being told a where ghost to go. mystery. Yeah, it it has that ghost mystery vibe. So you get sent to a place that you didn't expect to go to and you just have to go there and do that. So it's a puzzle box, just like Spencer Mansion, but it's kind of a nonsensical puzzle box. Yeah, in a lot of ways. That's how the at least I haven't played four and five. Um, I'm excited to. Yeah. Somebody sent Alia Wii. Yeah. Well, no, I think my friend Tim would let will let me borrow his so i just oh, need sick. a copy of the game yeah. yeah um yeah so like in the first three games they are structured like this i do think once again two and three figure it out better mm. uh so even actually in the third game you come back to himuro mansion where this game is set uh but it's in a really different structure it basically that game has multiple protagonists and there's sort of like a hub world and then they go to sleep and they get to explore like different areas Oh. Um, so there's a few different areas, but like one of them is like human mansion from this game. And so it makes it a little more, I guess, acceptable to have to keep backtracking and do all these weird nonsense puzzles because you're not just like in the same area. Right. But 
It's also kind of the vibe of the series, and I personally like it because it's just a little more like spooky J-horror. Like, you don't know what's going on. It's not just like find the armor key. Yeah. It's a little bit of like ghost investigation because we'll, yeah, dude. as we'll get into, there's a lot of like layered narrative going on and unraveling ghost mysteries. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I guess just in terms of like more nuts and bolts stuff, just to get it over with, I'm um, unlike Resident Evil, there's unlimited saves. You still do have to like save at little points, which is like a camera where you can refill your crappy film too, which I yeah. didn't even know until like the third night of the game. Oh, which, sure. You know, that's just me being a dummy. Uh, there's also unlimited inventory space too. Yeah. I mean, one thing to bring up overall, this game is super, super obtuse. It does not tell you <laughs> how to do a lot of stuff in it. And there's a lot of stuff that you either just have to know from playing the other games or have to figure out on your own. So like all of your complaints are super valid, like definitely don't feel like they're not valid <laughs> because I, I kind of wish I had played it before you played it before me for this playthrough mm-hmm. and i kind of wish it had been the other way around so i could have just like told you a little bit what to do because <laughs> like there's a lot of shit that this game just does not fucking tell you yeah the game does come with an instruction manual yeah yeah but like come on it came out in 2002 there's a booklet yeah there's <laughs> hella booklets dude just going on more nuts and bolts stuff there's no real safe rooms the ghosts can actually invade the rooms that you think are your safe rooms and uh you'll temporarily not be able to save in there. So you either have to take Uh out the ghost and then save or just run from the room and save somewhere else. Yeah. And it usually takes like a couple of rooms to escape from a ghost. Super annoying. Like if you run into just the next room, it'll probably follow you. You have to go like two rooms away. And this is an interesting mechanic, especially later in the game because it makes it more tense and stressful, which is cool, I guess, Mm -hmm. but it's also kind of buggy. So like sometimes ghosts will just keep following you and you can't shake them. And other times they'll just like be really easy to get away from. Yeah. It's, it's very RNG. Like, you know, towards the end of the game, there are roaming ghosts and they'll just kind of follow you around or just like be on random paths and you you'll bump into them. Yeah. And then sometimes you'll have really bad luck and you'll like fight a ghost with like a really irritating pattern or, you know, but then you'll die and replay it and you won't even bump into them. So, yeah, it's very RNGesus. Well, oh, yeah, you definitely have to be praying to RNGesus this whole fucking game. I mean, well, that's a big problem with the combat in this game, too, is it's so random that there's just some really infuriating moments. But then there's also moments where it's, like, infuriating because it's so easy. Like, you just got your shit kicked in by, like, a scrub enemy, and then you go and fight a boss, and you, you defeat it in, like, two shots. And it's, like... What the hell? <laughs> but the one thing that's annoying about the the random enemies is that one of the buggiest and shittiest things about it, I should say, is that you can like accidentally get doubled up on enemies because of these ghosts. Yeah. So like there's three different types of ghost encounters in the game. There's the the harmless ones that you're just trying to catch Pokemon Snap style because you get points. Yeah. And then there's like normal enemies which you just fight they're non-boss enemies and some of those are scripted and some of those are tied to progression yeah yeah and then there's bosses in the game who are scripted and you have to fight so a boss can never get doubled up with like a randomly generated ghost but Mm -hmm. a scripted normal enemy can get doubled up with a random encounter yeah and so you can end up fighting two ghosts 
and those fights fucking suck. And for my money, those fights were actually way harder than like any of the bosses. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just a bummer. You yeah, know? it really is. Yeah. So, you know, in typical survival horror form and fashion, the story is told through finding notes, which are repopulated each night. There's a lot of FMV flashbacks because your character is psychic. So, you know, when you meet a ghost for the first time, you might see like how they died or whatever. And each night of the game is based on a different storyline from within the mansion. Mm -hmm. So the story gets super dense in this game. And there's even a built-in correlation chart to show you how all the characters are linked together. Which I love that. It's super deep. And you can miss a lot of the story if you miss important notes. Um, But it's a mixture of like, the ghosts you're fighting are were like real people from the mansion, and they'll say things as you're like fighting them or whatever, or you'll know that they died in weird ways because of the way their ghosts look. But that's also tied with how they lived in the mansion and the notes they left behind, and then how they were killed by the older ghosts. And so there's there's ghosts from different eras, and all those yeah. ghosts have stories. There's like three timelines. Yeah. Maybe even four. We'll get into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of three, three and a half. Yeah. yeah, it's super cool. The two things that I really liked about the story, yeah. Number one is that it gives you this correlation chart, and it's really well layered. So I think the finding notes thing, which we're super critical of, because we've played like a million horror games, <laughs> and you just really get tired yeah. of it. I found it to be a lot more engaging in this game, totally because of that. Totally. Um. I don't know. It it was just cooler to me. The other thing too is that like, so there's a ton of FMV flashbacks and cut-ins in this game. Like there's a fuck ton of CGI cutscenes, which a fuck ton, but it's good and bad. Like, I think it's really cool because it, it helps give it that Japanese TV horror movie vibe that I Mm. mentioned earlier. Like it really seals the deal on that, which I really liked, but it also kind of makes the game feel like an FMV game at times. Like, a little bit, yeah. Like, I think that it's something that, once again, the later games get better at because they mm. realize that the coolest moments in the game is like when you're walking down a hallway and you suddenly see a ghost, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the real, like, soul of the game. And so I think later games lean into that more and less into the FMV stuff. But I think it's also, like, technological limitations, like the tech isn't there to have all of the cool cinematic stuff framed within the like in-game engine. So yeah, they had to throw CGI's at you, but it's cool. It's kind of like a retro fun thing that I liked about this game. Yeah. So let's talk more about the camera in combat. Um, in this game, it's not known as the camera obscura. It's just known as this camera, Um, (laughs) mom's camera. And like, like you talk about, there's like different types of ghosts. And your camera is sort of like your multi-tool. You can right. Pokemon snap ghosts that are passive. And sometimes you might come to like a door that's enchanted with a lock. And you'll have to take a picture of that door. But the when the picture develops, it shows a different place. So you mm-hmm. know that you have to either go find that new place or like it might be a place that you've already been to. And you'd be like, oh, I have to go back to that room. Like you see right. a fireplace or something. And so you go to the fireplace room. And then usually you'll take a picture of, you know, that item and it'll either unlock the door 
Or in that place, you'll find a ghost that you have to take a photo of, and then that'll unlock that door. Right. And then so that's that's the one part of the camera. And then the other part is the combat. I mean, th- there is some skill involved with the combat because usually you'll start in third person and you'll kind of like sort of watch the ghost's patterns and see what they do. And then once you're sort of familiar with that, you'll go into first person and snap them. But what you really want to do is wait for something called a zero shot. And a zero shot is when like the ghost rushes at your face and they're like, they're filling up the entire camera frame and your HUD will turn like Amber. And when it turns Amber, you, you take the shot and it does like mega damage and you get mega points. Right. So yeah, the whole thing is an exercise partially in aim and even more so in timing Mm -hmm. and it's also a self-control thing because like i found that i really wanted to just stay in first person and look around you know and just try to capture that ghost constantly but the ghosts will go through walls they'll turn invisible and you know sometimes being in first person is a serious disadvantage because you can't see around you yeah so you'll you'll pop between first and third person and i was really bad at the game until I learned that you need to jump between first and third person a lot to just see yeah. see around you and see where the hell the ghost is. Well, so here's the thing. I think that is like a huge weakness in this game. And yeah. it's really the big reason why I said what I said earlier, which is that you definitely should not play this as your first Fatal Frame <laughs> game because there's a bunch of refinements in the second game and in in the games after that, that make the combat so, so, so much better. Mm. So those refinements are number one, they let you switch film on the fly. Mm. So like in this game, you get different types of film. There's like weak film and there's three grades of like increasingly strong film. Mm -hmm. And those each do more damage to ghosts. And Essentially, you want to use your weak film to solve puzzles and do non-combat stuff. And you want to use your stronger film for combat. And it's very limited. Like, you don't get very much in the game. It's very survival horror, you know? And so it's just really annoying when you enter combat and you forget to change film. And then you're suddenly, like, trying to fight a really strong ghost with, like, you know, crappy, like, old Kodak film or something. And you're, like, super... (laughs) can't do it it's the same if you run out of a type of film you have to like go to the menu and change the film and it's super clunky and annoying so like a lot of enemy encounters or boss fights will will start with you like having to page through like five menus frantically so you don't get killed (laughs) the same with like healing items like you have to go into the menu and go through multiple pages to like use healing items it's very clunky um so they change that in the later games the other thing they changed in later games is that they make the combat more first person focused. So like in the later games, it becomes a lot more of like you enter into combat and you just enter first person and you can kind of stay in there and just chill. Mm, yeah. Um, which in this game, it's not the epiphany I had playing this game this time through was that the combat in this game is essentially exactly like a normal survival horror game, except instead of having like, r1 to ready your gun and x to shoot Mm -hmm. you basically have to go into a first person mode with a camera and play like a timing mini game with a ghost yeah (laughs) and it's like super 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 clunky 
it's so clunky and like <laughs> going between first and third person also is really really disorienting like totally because you're at a fixed fucking camera angle so like you go into first person and then you exit out and suddenly you're looking at your character from like a weird ass camera angle that your brain can't comprehend because mm-hmm. you were just in first person and it's like i really like the basic combat in this game because it's at a very core level the same as what's in the other games but it's so clunky the fact that you have to keep going between first person third person with weird camera angles and like yeah. paging through tons of menus yeah it's like bro you know and another thing we can't avoid talking about is the control scheme uh this game has eight different options for control schemes but none of them <laughs> let you use traditional first person controls and so the uh, essentially if you're used to you know any modern first person controls the sticks are flipped yeah. which is it takes hours to get used to and i still never felt like 100 percent confident uh switching to first person and moving around i don't know why maybe it's because i play less first person games or something but i actually didn't have a problem with the controls i get wow. what's wrong it just didn't like super bother me it was really weird <laughs> i mean yeah i don't know how you'd fix it because even in an emulator if you if you like flip the sticks then you know the third person controls would be all fucked would up suck so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess you could like if you had like a really nice controller emulation program, you could like hotkey it or something. But then Christ. it's like another key. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no way to make it elegant, which it is what it is. But I think the fact that there are later games in the series that just do it way better, it makes it that much harder to return to it. I think that's why I didn't return to this game very much. <laughs> yeah, because anytime I thought of playing this game or played the opening segment of it, it would just be like dude, I'm just going to play the second one because it's so much better. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing too, like, okay, a couple of the changes they make in the later games to make it more plausible to just stay in first person during combat is that the ghosts are, like, easier to track. Yeah. Like, in this game, it's super weird and and It's more really like a shooting gallery, right? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the ghosts will just disappear on you and, like, their movements are really erratic. Even some of the slow ones, like... Mm-hmm. It's really weird and erratic and it it felt once again to use the word again it felt kind of clunky or maybe buggy where like you would like take a photo that totally should have been okay and in the game is just like nope that wasn't okay and it's yeah. like why it also has the same problem as the original silent hill which is like really long uh recovery animations for enemies uh-huh so it's really hard to get into the timing which is sucks because it's a timing based combat game yeah. Because you'll hit them with like a little jab hit, you know, and then they'll reel back. And while they're reeling, they're kind of frozen in place in slow-mo. And your instinct is to want to like shoot them again, right? But you right. can't because there's a that recovery period. So you really yeah. have to get good at watching when they bounce out of that recovery period so you can just like hit them again real quick. Yeah. No, totally. And... Okay, once again, like for me as someone who's played all the games in the the original run, like I definitely had less trouble with it because I know what to do, but it didn't stop it from being fucking annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like I would keep having to replay certain bosses and stuff, not because I would lose, but because I would just burn through way too many items and I would mm-hmm. know like, well, yeah. I'm just going to get fucked like once I get to the headless priest guys. Totally. Like, totally. So I'd I'd go back and replay it. Very it's very Gen one survival horror. 
which is surprising for a game that on a technical level is way past all of those games. Sure. Yeah. 2002. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of playing Onimusha where it's like certain things about this are really, really far ahead. And certain things about this are right back in 1996. Totally. Yeah. So I think the last thing we didn't talk about with the camera is the filament. And this is sort of like a, a, a passive thing about the camera because you, the filament's a part of the UI all the time. And so when you're close to a passive or hidden ghost, the filament will start glowing blue. And then that lets you know that you need to pop into first person and look around for hidden ghosts. And sometimes yeah. they'll be up in the rafters and sometimes they'll just walk in front of you and you just got to really for, quickly jump in first person and snap the shot before they're gone permanently. And there's even yeah. a uh, there's a list of all the ghosts in the game. I think there's like 101 or 102. There's and, a lot. Yeah, the masterful players can snap all of those shots and they, they get the full context of the story of the ghosts behind it. Yeah, and it, it's cool too because some of them are even deeper hidden where like you just get a controller vibration and you don't get the filament and then you have to start hunting around to get the filament glow and then you can take the picture. Like there's some really deeply hidden ghosts in this game. It's really cool. Yeah, but yeah, a, a big chunk of this game is built around that first person combat and, you know, even when you beat the game, you unlock a battle mode, which is a bunch of combat challenges. So yeah. they, they really did leverage the whole first person camera combat is like a big selling point of this game. And let me say that for like the amount of like salt I just fucking poured on it that like, <laughs> like I said, it's I love the combat in yeah. this series. It's better in the later games. But even in this game, like even as I was annoyed with it and like lamenting that I wasn't playing fail frame two, I still loved it and I still do like super love the combat it's really fun it's really unique i think especially we've been playing a lot of very traditional survival horror games Mm -hmm. or even games like deadly premonition that i think have pretty traditional survival horror combat where it's like once again hold r1 to ready your gun and press x to shoot it was so nice to play a game that didn't have that, that even when I was frustrated, I was like, well, at least I'm not holding R1 and and pressing X. Yeah. Well, you know, the last thing I want to talk about in the combat is that this game, the reason why Fatal Frame is known as one of the scariest games is that it's built around the idea of facing your fear and just, you know, when this ghost lunges at you, you're going to get the highest damage. And, but these ghosts are like, legitimately kind of freaky like some of them have like broken necks and some of them have their eyes gouged out and they're like screaming like where's my daughter blah 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 (laughs) and like they phase in and out of reality and they'll come up right behind you and you have to spin around and take a picture while it's like right in your face and it's like so counterintuitive because like you know people have this like lizard brain like base of their spine kind of instinct on like no, like, don't fucking do that run. Like, yeah. your your fear instinct is going to not want you to do that. But this game forces you to do it. Yeah, it's such a cool concept. If, if you're sensitive to that, you might have to play the game in the small chunks. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty short game, but I did play it in a lot of sessions. Like, yeah, I, did, I, I definitely didn't feel like I could, like, marathon this game. There's, like, certain segments of the game that almost feel like a boss rush Mm -hmm. that like on night three that i felt were really good if you just knock that all out all at once yeah because it's just like gets it out of the way but for the rest of the game i'm 100 percent agree with you 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 do get used to it and i mean like this game is designed to be replayed like there's there's the battle mode 
Uh, there's a ton of unlocks for multiple playthroughs. You yeah, want a Pokemon totally. Snap, all the bad guys. And so, yeah. like, I, you know, I assume you'd get acclimated to the spooks and not get spooked anymore, and then it's more arcadey and fun. Yeah. But the totally. first time you play through this game, it's kind of like, you know, shock to your system. Like, holy shit. Like, this yeah. game can get freaky. And I can totally see, like, some people not enjoying it because it's too scary. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to the Zero Brightness podcast. If you want to support us, the most direct ways are at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also give us a rating on the service of your choice. I know Apple's super into that. And when you leave a rating, you can also leave us a suggestion for a future episode topic. You can also follow us on Facebook as well as Instagram. We're at Zero Brightness Pod. You can also shoot us an email with thoughts, comments, whatever at Zero Brightness Podcast at gmail.com. It's been really cool interacting with people and sharing thoughts on Facebook and Reddit. So hoping to hear from you guys more directly in the future. Okay, enjoy the rest of the episode. I totally agree. The horror in this game is really, really well done. Just the idea that you have to get up close and personal with these ghosts and you have to let them get in your face. Yeah. And like the audio, which is a point that I was reading was really important to the developers, is really good. Yeah. So... Especially since the the ghosts disappear on you, this right. game has sort of a similar to Silent Hill thing where there's uh, static when you're near ghosts. Yeah. So even though they're invisible, you'll be able to hear noise from where they're coming from. So you definitely right. want to you, you want to discern left from the right, uh, especially since the combat's so difficult. Yeah, exactly. And the mixing is really cool like you're hearing the distorted voices of the ghosts that are like kind of slowed down and weird and yeah. you're hearing all this static and then you're getting like positional data which is really important to the combat and it all comes together really really well once again with once the upgrade in audio and voice acting and graphics kind of comes through with the later games in the series it's even better and it's even scarier but even in this sort of embryonic form, it, it really, really works. It's super cool. All the ghosts have these unique patterns. Um, there may be a ghost that's blind, and it will just kind of like feel around randomly until you run or take a camera or take a picture, and then it'll rush you to your current location. So, right. And then there's you know, other ghosts that may sort of like they'll start in the back of the room and circle around you and closely get for, uh, closer to you, like in a spiral, and then they'll grab you. Um, right. There are other ghosts that, you know, it might be like three ghosts at once, like a group of people that died together, and they'll all sort of rush you in different patterns or like try to come at you from different angles. You also fight the ghosts a couple times in a row. So, you know, you might meet one ghost early and it's easier to fight. But then in subsequent battles, it'll get harder and harder. Um, right. So it's an interesting way of like easing you into like a bigger fight by introducing you to a, like a ghost and its fighting style. And then later, you know, you really have to battle it. Yeah, totally. It's a really cool element of the game. Once again, it's better when the games are less janky. It's a little jank in this game. Totally. Like... Even if you understand the patterns of certain ghosts, it's like 
they'll just randomly defy them or just act in a really weird way or just totally throw you for a loop. And I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> uh, and sometimes it's like, you can just be sitting right on like the blind ghost. You can be sitting right under her and she won't see you. But then you also can't take a photo of her. So you have to like run away and then she rushes you. And it's like, it's, it's a little jank. Um, yeah. Especially when they go into the walls, it's yeah. so annoying and unfair. I feel. Yeah, and one thing that they they all the visual effects and the way you track ghosts are like better in the later games. Uh, in this game, it's really hard to track the ghosts just because it's kind of jank. Uh, mm-hmm. So much so that actually you can unlock special powers in the game that you yeah. use with stones. So that's where the points come in, right? Um, as you you collect all these points by getting good shots and unlocking or taking pictures of hidden ghosts, you accumulate a bunch of points and you can level up certain things in your camera. Right. Like speed, strength, and then also special abilities. And one of the most helpful special abilities is to be able to lock onto a ghost, even if they're not visible. Yeah. There There are other ones that might freeze them in place or slow them down or push them back when you hit them. Yeah, so it's it's definitely catered to like your play style, which one you're gonna use. But so in in Fail Frame Two, for example, I use the slow effect a lot. Mm. But in this game, I only used the C effect. That was the only one I totally. even bothered unlocking because I was like, this is the only one I need because I just yeah. can't fucking see these ghosts. Yeah, <laughs> it's very hard, especially if you want to like just like stand in a corner and and like be in first person because they're just gonna come out of the wall and grab you. So you're yeah, actually safest in the middle of the room, which is weird. Yeah, it's weird how like there's so few fights you can actually do that way. And it also just ends up being kind of weird because like there's fights where it's super involved and you have to run around and blah, blah, blah. And then there's other fights where you can just win in two seconds by just standing in the corner and just shooting like really fast, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that feels like it was purposeful. Like there's some variety in the combat and sometimes it's just like, it's just jank and this game is just very it's a very embryonic version of the idea that sort of comes to fruition in the later games for yeah. sure yeah and i think that was my takeaway like i said i still enjoy the combat because at its core it's really fun and it's really cool it's just you're gonna get frustrated with this game for sure <laughs> <laughs> so do we want to talk about any other nuts and bolts stuff before we jump into the story well i guess uh, one cool thing is that there's uh, idle animations that might scare you. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you don't move or you pause the game for a really long time, you'll start getting, like, bloody hand prints all over your screen. And it's like, yeah. Wow. And that's sort of a uh, an, a long a long-standing trend with the Fatal Frame series, like idle animation Easter eggs. Yeah. It actually reminded me a lot of... Uh, a very weird deep reference I'm about to make, which is that uh, when the original Siren came out mm. on the PS2, there was like a screensaver you could download for it. Oh, yeah. That was just like weird, like visualizations of like, you know, character art and stuff from the game. But then at random times, it would just like freak out and like do a jump scare at you. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it was so funny because I I downloaded it and it did that to me once. And I got really freaked out. And I was like, "Holy shit, that's amazing!" And I just left it on, and it would like scare all of like the people I lived with at that's the times. Yeah. yeah, super terrible, but I loved it. Um, this game definitely gave me some siren vibes at moments. Like that reminded me of it. The chart that tracks the progression of the game 
definitely reminded me of it because mm. uh, Siren has a similar system, but for a very different purpose. But it has a similar chart that tracks what's going on in the game. Uh, and then also just the frustration and weird <laughs> combat also definitely reminds me of Siren. Siren is brutal. I guess Siren's the other like big J-horror, survival horror game, really. You know? Yeah, and... Siren is almost like more J horror by being less tropey, which is pretty interesting. Like I said, I think fatal frame is like the sort of TV movie version of that aesthetic and idea. And siren is like the hardcore fucked up J horror movie. We'll get to it. Yeah, dude. Have you played it before? No, I'm excited. You're gonna you're gonna tear your fucking hair out. I dude. heard it was jank as fuck, so I'm excited. It's so hard. I don't even know if it's <laughs> jank. It's just so hard. I'm nice. I have a copy and I love that game. I've been kind of dreading it because when we did the <laughs> Demon Daddies episode of Silent Hill, you yeah. know, uh we like hung out for a little bit afterwards and just played horror games. Which is really fun. So it was like me and Monica and our friend Tim, and we went and got like Vietnamese sandwiches and then came back and like played horror games. <laughs> and uh, I remember like I was showing them different games and I was like, oh, I got to show you guys Siren. Siren is like the fucking scariest game. And I booted up and I like couldn't get past the second level. <laughs> and I was like, I've beaten the game before, but I was like, holy shit, I don't know if I can beat this game anymore. That's like how wow. hard it is. Challenge accepted. Dude, it's it's it's, it's going to fuck you up. Anyway, Fatal Frame 1. Fatal Frame 1. So, all right. So the game is set in 1986 and it stars two siblings, uh Miku and Mafuyu Hinasaki. They're their brother and sister. Um Mafuyu is a student of a author that went missing in this mansion. So the author went missing. Mafuyu went after him to find him. He goes missing. And then yeah. you go looking for him. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe you're missing during the time of this game. So, yeah, you know, that's a whole lot of missing folks. <laughs> Someone um, call CPS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the game opens with like a little tiny prologue where you play as the brother. Right. Mafuyu. And he is so and slow. Yeah. You hold the run button and you're like, damn, is my controller broken? <laughs> well, this intro is like really extreme and also like kind of a good temperature taker of how the game is going to be because it's really slow and it's really dark. Yeah. So the rest of the game is not as slow and dark as this section, but holy fuck, this game is dark as fuck. Yeah. Oh, and it's so desaturated. It's almost like you're playing on a black and white TV most times. Yeah. There's only really a couple rooms that feel like they have color. Yeah. So the two things this game made me think about slash appreciate is number one, they definitely like fix this for the later games. And number two, I need to get a better fucking upscaler because mine is not cutting it for some games. (laughs) This game looked like shit. Uh, What's hilarious. Okay. This was a funny thought I had also while playing this is that, okay, so the name of this show is zero brightness right <laughs> the it's named that not because we're stupid although i did used to have an intro that made a joke about us being stupid 
But it's named that because, as we've spoken about on this show, if you're like a 90s PC type of gamer, Mm -hmm. the first thing you do when you open up a video game is you go to the options and fuck around with the options. Sure. (laughs) What I thought was unique about horror games is a lot of them open up the options menu for you when you start the game. Yeah. Like, it's really the only genre I can think of where it, like, pops open the options. You got to dial in that brightness. Yeah, and the main thing you have to do, and even this game does it, where it's like you select your controls, you select your difficulty maybe, and then a big thing is you always select your brightness. Yeah. (laughs) This game doesn't have that. Instead, it has a screen you can open up with a bright, a quote-unquote brightness test image that's like way brighter than the rest of the game, so it doesn't even fucking work. Right. And then instead of a brightness slider, it just says, use this image to adjust the brightness on your TV. (laughs) Bunch of assholes. Fucking assholes, dude. What a middle finger to me. Because, like, I had my fucking brightness all the way up, and this game still looked like it was, like, being soaked in black coffee the whole game. (laughs) Tecmo's brightness. Does it bother you that this game doesn't have Tecmo in the title? Tecmo's Fatal Frame? You know what would have been a better title is Tecmo's Fatal Frame, semicolon, Project Zero, comma, one. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Can we make a t-shirt of that and sell it without getting sued? Yeah, totally. All right, sick. Do them in my garage. Dude, get on it, James. Yep. All right, so. I've I've seen your t-shirt designs. They're good. (laughs) It's just going to be a wall of text. Like those Patriot t-shirts. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't care about being politically correct. My son's a 12-year-old woman. And if you don't like it, you can get out of my country. While singing Jimmy Buffett. I love beer, fucking my wife, my gun, America. And you have any problem with that, I got one place you can go. Hell, with a skeleton. A spooky skeleton. <laughs> and it looks like a Harley Davidson logo. Yeah. <laughs> Just a, a paragraph of text. So anyway, we haven't gotten past the prologue yet. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so you're the brother in this brother-sister duo and... You are wandering around an incredibly dark mansion very mm-hmm. slowly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he realizes the mansion is fucking haunted as, as hell heck. And <laughs> uh, a, a creepy white lady co- comes out and grabs you. Yeah. Stolen away by a white woman. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so that's the prologue. And then I think a couple weeks go by and then Miku goes out to look for her brother. Right. Um. So... Okay, besides the prologue, the game is broken up into four nights. And each mm-hmm. night emphasizes a different era of the mansion and its ghosts. Mm-hmm. So night one is based on two things. One, a mysterious strangling ritual. And two, the missing journalist uh, that right. Mafuyu went after. The missing journalist and his team. They all disappeared. Yeah. These are the two things that the first night is going to focus on. Right. And it kind of introduces some of the basic elements of the plot. Like there's a gate to hell maybe under the mansion. (laughs) Yeah. Which is like, you know, way to bury the lead. But uh, it's like sealed by a mirror that's been broken. Mm -hmm. 
And so you start to find, or you try to find the first piece, although it keeps getting stolen by like demon children and shit. Yeah. But yeah, it's cool because right away you see that the narrative is super layered. Like there's this ancient component involving sealing this gate to hell. And then there's a more modern component involving this novelist who's also researching like a middle period between the two. Yep. Which is like this family that went there to like, work on the grounds. Yeah, he was a historian. Right. Before the journalist area, a historian and his family lived there. And it turns out, through some twist of fate, that the daughter of the historian is the main character's grandma. Yeah. And she was also the person that discovered the camera that could catch spirits. We'll get more into that later. Right. And so, like, yeah, yeah, Mufuyu and Miku got this camera given to them by their mom. And, yeah, this... It sounds confusing because it is, but I think, once again, it's similar to the puzzle design in this game that the confusion is actually very cool, in my opinion. And once you see all the links put together, it's really compelling. Yeah. That's the big thing is that it it gives you a literal flowchart that slowly fills in so you can go and read everything. And Mm -hmm. the other thing is that like, it's just a different way to tell a story and to structure a game, to just structure it around confusion. So when the historian lived there with you know, the child grandmother, they were studying an old sort of religious sect slash cult that lived there that did a bunch of weird rituals. Um, Right. They were like, it's not very clear, but they're like sacrificing shrine maidens to, you know, keep this door closed or whatever. Right. So the more you learn about all these layers, the more that these rituals are uncovered and you unravel the whole mystery of the game. So yeah, in the first night, you're sort of uh, looking up and learning all this stuff, and you find out more about the the journalist and right. the two people who are with him. Yeah, um, there's an editor and assistant, and most of the ghosts you fight that night are either the journalist, the editor, or the assistant. Right. Um, you find the editor, you see a flashback of his death, and you find his tape recorder, which you use throughout the game. Uh, you find tapes from this team, and you can listen to you know their their messages, right? Um, and so, you know, th- through listening to these tapes and reading scrolls that are chilling out everywhere for some reason, you learn about this strangling ritual. And what happens is they take a shrine maiden down to the Hellgate, and four monks and a leader like kind of like tear her into pieces and the shrine maiden's blood seals the hell gate for another generation essentially pretty grisly fucking stuff yeah it's it's dark as fuck uh but that's this is just the first layer on the cake of grisly shit <laughs> yeah and for then sure. you, you kind of learn that something went wrong in this last ritual that failed and caused the gate to open which is clearly why the mansion is haunted as fuck. Yeah, exactly. And all the spirits that died in the mansion linger in the mansion. Yeah, exactly. And it also introduces that there's kind of like a main antagonist who's the shrine maiden. Our white lady. Yeah, our white lady. She sort of looks like your traditional like woman with long hair, except mm-hmm. she's got like a more ornate traditional dress on. Isn't there uh, a name for that? Like Yure or something like that? Well, yeah, Yure is, is just a ghost. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, there's like, there's all sorts of different 
names like in Japanese for all these uh, different ghosts. But yeah, like there's like, you know, the long neck lady, the, you know, woman with long hair. There's all these different uh, ghost archetypes, you know, slit mouth woman. I'm just trying to think of stuff that I know from like J horror movies. Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) Uh, But a lot of it is based on like old, like block prints or like, you know, Edo era painting and, mm. you know, those sort of like early comic art and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's like uh, from Japanese history. Cause there was all sorts of like, you know, horror stories and ghost archetypes and stuff. And a lot of that stuff just got updated in these sort of modern horror settings. So let's talk about the, the novelists party a little bit. The journalist or novelist, his name is Takamini, like the guitar company. Yeah, and his two assistants, the editor and the assistant, I guess. Um, they show up. They start researching. The, once they see the white lady, they start showing signs of this sort of like stigmata, where they'll have rope burns across their neck, and right. then across their wrists, and then ankles. And then once that happens, they start getting picked off by the ghosts. Right. Um. The guy whose tape recorder you steal dies first. And then the assistant, uh, Tomoe, she sort of like loses her mind and starts seeing all the ghosts in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, Tomoe, through visions, she learns of the curse and she tells Takamini about the curse. And then um, she learns all about like uh, apparently through like visions, she learns about like the mirror, what happened and everything. Um, and after she tells Takamini, she's killed by the white lady who we learn is named Kirie. Mm-hmm. And then, so Takamini is the only survivor and he starts scrambling to try to find the pieces of the mirror. And that's when he is also killed by Kirie. Right. And then you also are confronted by Kirie at the end of this night. Right. Um, there's also a mysterious little girl wearing a kimono. Uh, she never speaks, but she only points at things and she seems to be helping you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the end of night one. Yeah. Basically. That's kind of what happened. Takamini is the boss of night one. He doesn't put up much of a fight. Uh, it's still kind of like teaching you how to play the game. Night one's pretty lax. So in night two, Miku wakes up and realizes she's been cursed by the shrine maiden, Kyrie. Right, right. And this is also where the game kind of kicks up the difficulty. Yeah, well, it, 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 it introduces one of the most infamous ghosts in the game. Is We talked about it earlier, the blinded ghost. Um, right. She's blind and she can only hear you if you move. And she's difficult as fuck because at this point you're like, you're moving around a lot to avoid the ghosts. And then all of a sudden you want to not move. Yeah. But, it's really hard to remember even. And you also fight yeah. her in some really close quarters. Totally. You yeah. fight her like six times or something. Yeah. And she gets harder yeah. each time. Yeah. So this night you're really like hounded by her. And if you don't get the mechanics down, you can really blow through a lot of your items and shit. Just yeah. fighting her. Uh, I don't know. I think she might be like the hardest recurring enemy in the game. Totally. Yeah. But this night beyond that also introduces some really, really weird and fucked up thematic shit. Yeah. Well, there's another fucked up ritual uh, called demon tag, which is the the name of the night. Also, we learned that there's not only one shrine maiden, 
the one that gets torn to pieces, but there's a second one, which is the blinded. Some real dark shit. So like, it's like a constant cycle. Every, I think 14 years, they round up all the seven-year-olds in these four families and they make a blinded shrine maiden play tag with them. And the first child that's caught becomes the next blinded maiden in the cycle. And the last one that's caught becomes the rope shrine maiden, which is the person that's torn to pieces. Yeah. So this is uh, this ritual, the demon tag ritual, is how they choose the next rope shrine maiden and the next blinded shrine maiden. Yeah, it's really fucked up because, like, even just right away, you see like the blinding mask, and it looks like a like a sort of masquerade mask <laughs> with spikes in it. Yeah, it has giant spikes where your eyes would go. Yeah, just like super fucked up. And this night is also interesting because you know there's like a lot of imagery of kids and ghost children yeah kids playing tag which yeah ghost kids are always fucking freaky i don't care what yeah dude oh yeah no (laughs) it's a it's super spooky and yeah it's it's really cool the other thing too is that like you sort of get the feel of some of the structure of the game which is that they kind of like introduce these ideas and they reveal to you which characters have what place in the narrative and also kind of show you some of what's going on narrative um which is really cool because even like with the shrine maiden and the main antagonist kyrie like early in the game you don't really know who she is or what's going on with her you i mean you could guess yeah but as the game goes on they reveal more about her uh which is really cool but also even within the night there's these little mini narratives that you're slowly revealing totally um, yeah which is very cool so yeah once once de- the demon tag ritual happens, the 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 little seven year old girl that's chosen to be the next shrine maiden is taken away and isolated from society for a decade before she is sacrificed to keep this door closed. A little bit of that is revealed during this chapter. Um, right. The other big overarching part of this chapter is the the folklorist and his family. The folklorist was the person that raised your grandmother. And that's uh, the Munakata family. Yeah. He moved in with his family to research, you know, the the rituals and the weird culty folklore around the mansion. And this is when the the little girl found the camera and took a picture of a ghost by happenstance on a walk with her mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mom saw the photo and was pretty freaked out by it. But then she took the camera and started taking photos all over the mansion, and this revealed ghosts everywhere. Right. After a point, she could start seeing the ghosts without the camera. Yeah. And she sort of lost her mind. Right. During this time, the little girl had friends over, and the friends were playing tag, mirroring the old demon tag ritual that happened previously. And all the little girl and all her friends... Uh, went missing the only child that was recovered was the daughter and the mother was so distraught that all her friends basically disappeared and died that uh she hung herself in the courtyard and that kind of leads into the the main character's family line which is that that little girl was their grandmother she gets adopted by another family and so she like moves out of the mansion but she brought the camera with her right so there's a couple of really cool points here. Number one is the way that this game does these parallel plot lines. Yeah. Like 
they introduce that all of this is rooted in this like distant past where they were doing these rituals, but then they show how the same uh, things keep recurring over and over in different generations, Mm -hmm. um, which is super, super cool. Uh, And the other thing is that it introduces that there's sort of like almost like a weird time distortion going on at Himuro mansion. Yeah. Like, Himuro Mansion is kind of just weird, like cursed place because it's on top of a hell mouth. Once again, I mean, yeah. you know, go, go fucking figure. But like, uh, it, there's basically a weird time dilation thing going on and it sort of draws the connections between these different generations of its own sort of evil accord. And so in this, uh, night, there's like a weird moment where you see, your own mother hanging from the cherry tree, like right. the mother in the Munakata family was, but it's like not real. It's just like a weird sort of time dilation thing mm-hmm. because ultimately that's like what the mansion wants. It's, it's a really cool kind of like Amityville horror type of vibe. Yeah. That is very interesting. It's definitely a nice twist on the traditional way to approach just like a haunted house or like a haunted Japanese mansion kind sure. of thing. It definitely reminds me of Zhuan, like uh, the mm. grudge movies, because in those movies, there's this element of time overlapping and folding in on itself. And so a lot of the stories kind of uh, end up crossing paths across time, mm. which is really, really cool, I think. And it's a nice contrast to the aesthetics in the game, which are very like traditional Japanese uh in some ways, and also just very old and others, like the mansion is really old and broken down and dirty. Yeah. Um, which is cool. But then it's got this kind of weird modern twist with all the like weird time fuckery, which I like. Yeah. And, you know, the story is not like absolutely overt. I mean, if you're not reading all the notes, you're not going to pick up on all the subtlety. Oh, you need that flowchart, baby. Yeah. You need that flowchart for sure. Anyways, the the boss of the night is the folklorist himself. You've been kind of like taking pictures of ghost children and the wife hanging from the tree and the folklores. You fight them several times yeah. and you fight the blinded shrine maiden several times. She's in the ass. Um, but yeah, um, besides that, you know, we can move on to the third night, which is the calamity. Yeah. Night three calamity is aptly named because I basically (laughs) feel like this is a boss rush. Yeah, it totally is. The end of the second night, the the fight with the folklorist and the blinded, you just fight the blinded so much, and mm-hmm. she's difficult as fuck, so you're probably like using up all your good film at this point. Uh, I know I did. So I went into night three with basically only basic film, and it oh, was damn, a really? motherfucker. Absolutely. Holy shit, how did you do that? Dude, it was a motherfucker, dude. I had to get good. Like I had to like really hunker down. And there were points where I was like fighting the bad guys and doing really bad. And I just had to load the game like three times until I like got a good run on a bad guy. You know? Wow. It was a motherfucker. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) I didn't really touch anything above the like second grade film before night three. Yeah. So yeah, I I was in trouble. And I think that's (laughs) when I was messaging you like, holy shit, this game. Yeah. So there's a hot tip for you. <laughs> yeah, night three definitely kicks up the difficulty, and there's a lot of item scarcity. The first couple nights, you're finding a bunch of film, you're finding a bunch of herbs, um, but night three, man, you're not finding shit. <laughs> no. So um, 
and it really d- kicks up the difficulty. Like you said, it's a Bosch rush. Um, and we're moving back in time even more, and we're learning more about the era of Kyrie, and when she was the Shrine Maiden. Right. She was locked up in solitude for 10 years, and these four monks took care of her, but they wore masks all the time. So Kyrie never knew what the monks really looked like. Um, and at the point of the strangling ritual, um, the four monks and the um, Himuro Mansion master actually performed the ritual that tore her apart and killed her. But we know that something went bad. We're not sure what went wrong yet, but we're starting to get these hints. Right. So the calamity is what happens after the ritual fails. The doors open. Uh, all these like evil spirits called the malice come out and kill almost everyone in the mansion. And the survivors are left with their sanities ripped from them. Right. So the Humoro family master uh, essentially just becomes a killing machine and starts killing everyone in the mansion. Right. Uh, He beheads the four monks and then kills his family and everyone else, all the servants, etc. So the main antagonist of Night 3 is the Himuro family uh, master and the four monks. But you fight the master several times, and he's the only one in the game that actually has, like, a weapon. He has a katana, and he's actively trying to fucking kill you. He sucks. I hated this boss fight. Yeah. I had to, uh, and I had to fight him with, like, the weakest film. Dude, that's fucking nuts. I think, so like I said, I didn't touch any of my good film yeah. until this night. And even on this night, I did most of it with the second, there's like four grades. I did yeah. it with the second grade film, except for him, I went up to the third grade. Yeah. Because I was like, dude, I just, I got to kill this guy. And see, fights like this are the ones that really irked me because he moves really fast and has a long recovery animation and has crazy range. Yeah. So it's like he just breaks the combat. And I don't know. That's what started to bug me. Cause it was like, uh, I want it to be like the other games where I can <laughs> yeah. just be in first person and just be good at timing and aiming and shit like that. And in this game, you just have to keep running and keep going back to third person. I did this boss fight two or three times. Once again, I beat him every time, but it was just how many items I burned through. And I was like, I just kept going back and trying to do it better. Sucked. Yeah, he, um, I had to fight him like a Silent Hill boss where you run into one corner, turn around, get him with a zero shot, and then run into the opposite corner, rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um, because when you do a zero shot, you stun him. And if you don't stun him, he's going to do like a wide sword swing and hit you no matter what. Yeah, it's definitely, though, the going between first and third person and the the camera angles in this room and the Buddha room suck. It's a real motherfucker. Yeah. So it's like this is basically high level spatial reasoning testing. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Oh, you think you need to know math to like tool? Yeah. Try playing this fucking boss fight. That's <laughs> when you need some fucking math, dude. Hell yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, besides him, you fight him a couple times. Um the progression of the stage is sort of dictated by defeating the four headless priests Mm -hmm. and they all give you a little piece of the story and they all fight you in different ways. Like one shoots out like little fireballs that'll follow you around and are like a real motherfucker. 
Um, one will descend into the ground and pop up and grab you by the ankles. Yeah. Which is a real motherfucker. Um, and so, yeah, they all have their own kind of like unique attacks, but you get little pieces of the story and, um, I think you get items from them too that unlock something or something. You get pieces of story and then whenever you take a final picture of them, you get a symbol that you then use to unlock the the moon shrine the moon well yeah the moon shrine so there's basically like this shrine that's been chilling in the middle of one of the main areas of the game that you you could never unlock yeah yeah and you just don't even know what it's for and then in this night uh you get to go in and you see that it's like a big four-sided shrine and you need to get all these symbols from the priests in order to unlock it Mm -hmm. this is where i think the game's weird progression is really cool stuff like that because it is like a puzzle box like Resident Evil, but it shows you stuff and it makes you wonder like, oh, what's in there? And then like you get into the moon shrine at the beginning of this night and you're still like, what the fuck is this? And then it's like, OK, I guess I have to go kill these these priests. And then when you do, you just get a symbol like the first couple I killed. I was like, what the fuck? Because like I thought I was getting some items or shit. And it's yeah. like, nope, you get some story and then you get a picture. But that's just how fail frame rolls, dude. Yeah, and the whole time, like, this boss rush, you know, these four headless dudes and the other guy, like, you're not replenishing your items. No. It's a motherfucker. Dude, yeah, it's tough. And this, uh, another note about these headless guys is that they only take damage when their head is attached to their bodies. And so right. their heads will float around the the arena, and essentially you have to wait until their heads touch their bodies and then attack them real quick. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's it's challenging stuff. Yeah, uh, one more thing I want to mention is that uh, on night three, there is a wandering monk ghost. Oh, fuck and, that and guy. And he just wanders around the mansion. And if you meet him, he will fuck you up. Yeah. So I recommend not even fighting him. It's a motherfucker. Yeah, yeah I will say, like, I was happy that with some of the wa- the randomly generated ghost encounters you can just run away Mm -hmm. but the game also makes running away really hard so i think there was at least one save reload on my playthrough just (laughs) because i got my shit kicked by some randomly generated ghost yeah so you know the, the night ends by you descending the moon well and finding a shriveled up shrine maiden corpse at the bottom Mm -hmm. Um, Kyrie comes and knocks you out and then you wake up on the final night. Yeah. Which is all about her. Right. Exactly. So the final night is cool because once again, big like J horror influence here that you get to the end and you find out the backstory of the ghost that you've thought was evil. And it turns out that she's kind of just misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, it's also the keystone of the story. It just puts all the threads together. Yeah. It's super cool. Uh, yeah, I love how it kind of harks back to that chart. You've been reading this chart the whole time, but now you're actually getting the final pieces and seeing how everything fits together. Yeah. uh, Which is very, very cool and very satisfying. The night begins and you wake up and you see that little girl ghost that's been helping you. And she's pointing at uh, a musical instrument. It looks like a hammered dulcimer. I don't remember the exact name. Koto. Koto. She clearly wants you to play the Koto. And then you find a piece of music that's conveniently placed 10 feet away. Uh-huh. And you play it, and it opens a door to the attic. Right. Where 
you you explore and you find uh, Kyrie's cage where she's been kept for ten years. Right. You you watch a cutscene that explains that the little girl is essentially Kyrie when she was first locked up, and essentially mm-hmm. the little girl ghost is like Kyrie's innocence. Yeah, similar to Alessa, she had kind of like split herself in two yeah so there's sort of like an evil corrupted ghost which at this point you've actually seen a couple times and is really freaky looking yeah it's like it's like a legion kind of like ghost with a bunch of crazy appendages coming out of its back yeah um it's pretty cool looking yeah and then there's like this innocent young girl that's kind of like from the demon tag ritual so before she was chosen as a shrine maiden yeah so luckily you know there are like six or seven scrolls in her cage that explain the entire story. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, Night Four is kind of truncated, so they just throw a bunch of like her diary at you so to explain what's going on. Yeah, but essentially, you know, before the strangling ritual, the mansion had a guest, uh, which was a handsome young man, uh, whom Kyrie saw through the window in her cell, and she like immediately fell in love with him. And so I guess the monks were letting her out, like, you know, like once a week to stretch her legs. And she meets this guy and she, like, falls in love with him. and Which totally, like, botches the strangling ritual. Because the whole point of keeping her locked up is that she doesn't have any, like, worldly connections. Right. So, so suddenly she wants to live. Yeah. So the, the, the family master decides to take this guy and kill him. And then they continue with the strangling ritual anyways, but it fails, and it lets all the malice out, and all the malice connects to Kyrie, and she becomes, like, this giant legion monster. Right. That's how the mirror ended up broken, and everybody ended up dead. That's what caused <laughs> the calamity. Which exactly. kind of mentioned earlier, but that's, yeah, basically the whole thing fell apart because she didn't want to do the ritual anymore. And it's cool that it connects to your characters specifically because uh, your brother, Mufuyu, was sort of possessed or taken over by this ghost or taken captive by this ghost because she saw him and thought that he was the guy that she had fallen in love with. Right, yeah. Mufuyu is the spitting image of whatever his name was, Mr. Handsome. Maybe. But the other thing that's interesting, too, is that like you're seeing this in Flash's that Miku is seen because she's a psychic, so she's seen it through the eyes of the ghost. Mm-hmm. So it could just be that in the eyes of the ghost, she just replaced the other guy with this dude. Like, she just cut his head out of the photo and put this new guy's head on top of it. Right, yeah. Another interesting thing is um, you start uh, finding Mafuyu's notes, too. Yeah. And they're written to Miku. Um, right. And so he's like, hey, I've seen you around the mansion but I can't interact with you. It's like you're a ghost or a blur. And so, like, going back to your idea of there being, like, this weird time warp in the mansion, uh, it's it's like Miku and Mafuyu are on two different planes of existence, and they could see each other but can't interact with each other. Yeah, totally. Very yeah. Silent Hill, kind of. Yeah, totally. Um, which I, I thought was... I thought that was a cool touch. And they, they explicitly do say it in the game in his notes. It's like, oh, there's something weird going on with time. Yeah. But... It's also not like a huge plot point that they harp on. I thought that was cool. I like yeah. weird time fuckery when it's kept more in the background. The more you put it in the foreground, the more you realize the time travel doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, 
But it's nice as a detail always. But anyways, we're we're getting to the uh, last boss of the game, which is you know of course our our white lady. <laughs> yeah. She wants to see your manager. Absolutely. <laughs> um, right. So you you end up going through sort of like a last hallway uh, where you see some more cutscenes, and you kind of explicitly see that Kyrie's refusal, you know to do the ritual and all that is what caused the downfall of everybody like you mentioned earlier and then you have to fight her and it's a weirdly easy boss fight <laughs> thank god because if she touches you you insta die yeah yeah that's so fucked <laughs> but it it's it's so much easier and it's it's so much of a relief after night three to have an easy last boss <laughs> Yeah, one thing that I thought was very strange in this game was how easy the whole final night is. Because mm-hmm. there's like three fights. There's sort of two fights before Kyrie, and then there's Kyrie's boss fight. And they're all really fucking easy, which I'm not complaining about. I'm totally fine with it. But it was, yeah. it's another very strange quirk of this game that the difficulty is all over the place. It's not a linear progression. Yeah. It's like well, I hills. feel like, you know, night three is like the really the big challenge of the game. And night four is like payoff night. You know what I mean? It's like in Resident yeah. Evil after you get all the guns and you're just like blowing everyone away after before the last boss fight. Yeah. It's it's satisfying like that, but with narrative. Totally. I think it is interesting to me though that I it doesn't really feel that way because you're still so like keyed up from yeah. the previous night and you you probably are relatively low on items. Like mm-hmm. I had decent amounts of everything, but my thought was like, God, if I have to do another fucking boss rush here, I'm screwed. Seriously. You know? like, well, look, luckily on night four, you're going through a bunch of new places, too. So you do get a bunch yeah. of new items. You do find a bunch of like the strongest film right before the last boss, which is tight. Yeah. So you're just like blowing away these like preliminary ghosts like super easy because you're like on God mode at this point. Yeah. <laughs> totally um but yeah once you defeat kyrie she kind of goes back to being a normal looking human figure Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's sort of like the reunion of her evil self and her good self and she the game also mentions that she didn't complete the ritual because she wanted to live but then afterwards she had a lot of remorse that she abandoned her post basically right so she now like ties herself up in front of the hell mouth in order to seal it off. Yeah. And the big twist is that Mufuyu, who was with her, who now has regained his, you know, consciousness and sovereignty is like, no, I'm going to stay with her. It's yeah. my fate to stay with her, which is a pretty wild ass. Isn't that move. weird? Yeah. Super weird. I'm going to stay with this like crazy ghost woman that yeah. <laughs> abducted me. He's just like, I got to do it. It's what I need to do. So he definitely has Stockholm syndrome. It's like, uh, do they have like a pantry full of canned food for him or something? Yeah, I thought the same thing. <laughs> He's just going to like lick mold off of stalactites. <laughs> like when on Ren and Stimpy, when Ren became a hermit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's Mafuyu. Dude, it's Mafuyu and Stimpy. <laughs> I'd but play that. Y- yeah, the the ending after that, though, was pretty cool. He basically tells Miku to, to get out of there, and she blacks out, wakes up outside the mansion, and then, like, sees all the people's souls going home. That's a pretty cool, like, CGI yeah. image. It's um, tight. 
And then it ends on kind of a hilarious like anime sketch freeze frame of her being like, and then I never saw ghosts again. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not really about the ending. It's about the ghost friends we made along the way. Yeah, dude. The real fatal frame where the ghost <laughs> pictures we took along the way. Yeah. So the time to crack open that photo album you've been collecting the whole game and relive some pleasant memories. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I really liked the story in this game. Mm-hmm. I liked all the different layers to it and the way it was structured. I mean, I think when you lay it out the way that we just did, it may come off as a little cliche or, you know, just a little simple. But I think the way that is presented, the way that all the different narratives swirl around each other and the different events recur is super, super cool. Yeah. This game is really close to being great. The narrative is super compelling. There's just a lot of jank with the combat and the exploration. I think Tecmo needs to like just like do little HD remakes of these Fatal Frame games and release them on Steam with fixed controls. And I think they'll find sure. a new audience. They're not too jank. You know, they're just jank enough. Well, the thing too is that the general movement controls and exploration in this game are like really slick, especially yeah. compared to other horror games of the time. They're super slick. Yeah, there's too much menu. So, you know, just having like controller button shortcuts for things like changing your film, things like that. But honestly, you wouldn't have to do a ton to the game to make it playable nowadays. Honestly, if they just did like a ROM hack that doubled all the item drops, like add an easy mode that doubles all the item drops, Mm. this game would be so, so much more playable. You know, one thing we didn't talk about is the health items. The health item juggle in this game is really strange. And I did want to talk about this because you get, you know, regular herbs and then you find these things called stone mirrors. Uh Stone mirrors fill up your health all the way but you can't use them actively. You have to passively use them where you run out of life and you automatically refill your life gauge. Right. But you can only carry one stone mirror at a time. But since health items are so finite in the game, you really do want to use those stone mirrors before you use your things like herbs because you really want to like hoard your herbs for when you need them. Right. So there's a weird like meta gameplay juggle between like it's like, oh, I just got hurt. Should I use a herb or like waste a stone mirror? Because I know on the other side of the mansion, there's a stone mirror just sitting there. So, um, yeah. especially towards like the end of night three, where you're like really struggling. Like I had a mental checklist of all the stone mirrors and where they were. So I didn't have to use my herbs and I would run back and forth and, you know, just rely on the stone mirrors as much as possible. Yeah, I did. I did exactly the same thing. And I think I even left a couple at the end of the game yeah. of stone mirrors it's kind of a it's a weird system but it's kind of cool I think that the layout of the mansion in this game is very interesting and strange and stuff like that forces you to learn it Yeah, uh, which I, I thought was cool I actually enjoyed that there are definitely horror games I've played where I was annoyed that I had to learn the layout of, mm. you know, whatever area yeah. I was in. But in this game, I actually enjoyed it because it's so weird and twisty and there's secret passages and it's, it's pretty it, fun. It's counterintuitive away, in a way, sort of like Deadly Premonition's weapons, how the pistol is the weakest weapon and like the pipes are like stronger. 
Right. Like, you really want to use the most powerful healing items instead of the weak ones because the weak ones are so finite. Yeah. It's just really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was on purpose or just like a jank that works. You know what I mean? It's really hard to say. (laughs) It, I don't know. It definitely feels like an arcadey aspect of the game. Yeah. Because I feel like older Japanese video games were big into that, like multiple health item type of thing where you had a passive one and then you had a couple active ones. Yeah. And so I could totally see this in like a platformer, like a, it, like Gomon games have this exact same system. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Where there's like, uh, you know, there's food that you can eat to recover health, but then there's also like an item you can carry that like recovers mm. health. It's, I guess it's sort of like, like the Zelda fairy too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's a pretty classic, like Japanese arcade game sort of thing, and there's a, that's another weird element in this game. So there's obviously an arcade element, like when you're fighting ghosts and like you're seeing the points you're getting pop up and stuff. Yeah, well, but it's sort it, of like um, they want to make it a survival horror game, but they also want to like crank up the replayability and give it a mm-hmm. higher skill ceiling, so really yeah, skilled totally. players can still play the game and fi- have have a different type of fun. I think. Right. And I mean, a lot of the camera unlocks are tied to your skill. Yeah. Because like you can fight an enemy and beat it, but not do a great job and get like 200 points. Yeah. Or you can fight an enemy and do it perfectly and get like 4,000 points. Yeah, I sucked and I I didn't even max out my camera in the game. And more skilled players will max out the camera and get all the abilities in one playthrough. Yeah, like I maxed out the camera and got one of the abilities, but mm. I was just like, holy shit, like I didn't even get close to what's in there. Yeah. You know and, I mean? and on New Game Plus, you you bring over all your camera abilities. Yeah. So if you don't max it sure. on the first playthrough, you'll max it out on the second one. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's that element too is a little better, at least in, in Fail Frame 2. Um, you get a little bit more feedback. Because, like, this game doesn't always tell you what points you're earning and why. It just does for some things, like getting a, a zero shot or getting certain other shots. Like, you actually get more arcadey feedback in the second mm-hmm. game, and I actually like it a lot. It sort of makes the combat a little more engaging. And that's, like, what I was saying about this game is very, very, like, obtuse in terms of telling you, like, what to do to get good. Yeah. Uh, I think in... In Fatal Frame 2 and the games after it, you pick up really quickly on what you need to do to get good. It doesn't make it any easier. It mm. just actually makes your play style more thoughtful. Yeah. So instead, you know, new game plus stuff. So instead of uh, not just, you know, bringing over your camera, you unlock different uh, costumes too. And I think the costumes let you run a little faster. But Fatal Frame 1 does not start that tradition of, like, really slutty costumes for the characters. <laughs> sure. That starts later in the series. Yeah. The, the Fatal Frame <laughs> as a series has kind of, like, a male gaze problem of, like, dressing up young schoolgirl characters in, like, not okay outfits. And, like, <laughs> just being, like, encouraging you to just, like, stare at their parts and shit. Yeah. Uh, Fatal Frame 1 surprisingly is free of that uh, for the most part. It's not like a big element of the game, you mm-hmm. know? She's wearing like a short skirt, but it never like does upskirt cam or anything. Yeah, and there's nothing gross like that in it. Two, the character designs are a little bit like suspect, and there's definitely like extra content that's like extremely suspect. Uh, 
it it's funny like it kind of takes me back to like that time where you're trying to show people these games and they're like okay whatever you fucking pervert like <laughs> you like jerking off to cartoons like that's cool i'm gonna be over here not doing that and it's like can't Dude. play near automata in front of your girlfriend <laughs> nope uh but why does this character have a butthole <laughs> yeah. why does it focus on her butthole when you go up the ladder explain the inclusion of the butthole please <laughs> but it's about humanity uh-huh yeah humans have buttholes um <laughs> yeah like it's kind of a bummer about the fail frame series that it gets some of that and that's definitely like you know that mixture of like exploitative Japanese movie and like just yeah. like pervy Japanese game, uh-huh. like, you know, manga doujinshi culture stuff. And the whole American censorship backlash is fucking hilarious because yeah. when Maiden of Blackwater came out, they had like really slutty costumes for the Japanese uh, release where it was like okay. butt crack city and stuff. And then when they released it in America, they removed those, but they added a Princess Peach and Samus costume. Oh, that's cool. And But the Samus costume was like ass city. It was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they didn't leave yeah. anything in the imagination. But still, you know, there was like outrage on the internet with like gamers that have never had a girlfriend before. Yeah, it's, oh man, it's so <laughs> dumb. God, it's so fucking stupid. Yeah. Well, and these are the same people who you can't get to like take action against Donald Trump, like literally trying to take away their internet. <laughs> but they like <laughs> love Donald Trump. So mm-hmm. they're like, it's fine. And it's like, oh my God, dude. If you could like stop hating women for like two seconds, we could actually maybe get something done. You fucking pieces of shit. Which is a long-winded way to say that Fatal Frame 1 doesn't really have much exploitative stuff in it at all. Hey. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, short squirrel girl skirt, I guess, is the most questionable thing, but it's not that bad. Yeah, it's it's not that bad. And <laughs> yeah, it gets worse as the series as as the games get better, unfortunately, that element of it gets worse. Yeah. Uh, speaking of classy takes on Fatal Frame, did you know that there's actually a movie adaptation that came out in 2014? Is it tight? It is tight actually. It's I a no Japanese idea. Yeah, it's a Japanese film and it's I don't know if I'd really call it an adaptation. It mm. is called Fatal Frame, uh, <laughs> but it has a really, really different story. It actually has like this whole undercurrent of like, you know, talking about sexuality and repressing like gay sexuality. And it's a really, really cool movie. Mm. It's super, super good. It's more like a, just a really dark, sad supernatural drama. Um, hmm. It's by a director named uh, Mari Asato, and she also did uh, a Juon movie called Juon Black Ghost, uh, mm-hmm. which was it's like a short film that was released as a like a compilation film called Juon Black Ghost White Ghost, hmm. and it's super super good. the The Black Ghost, the half of the film that she directed, is fucking incredible. It's all about parasitic twins, and if you know what that is and are interested in that, this nice. horror movie is bonkers. It made me so obsessed with parasitic twins. I actually put out a solo album called Parasitic Twin. Uh, nice. That was like after I watched this movie, I just like wrote a bunch of creepy songs. Um, Grab it off Bandcamp. 
Uh, maybe. I actually don't even know what's on there. It's very obscure. <laughs> <laughs> Only available a, on 8-track cassette. Dude, there's a cassette tape of it that came in a handmade paper sleeve, like an old single. Perfect. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, no one no one gets that. <laughs> Only available on Edison Cylinder and Player Piano <laughs> Roll. I hand-carved it myself while smoking a wood pipe. <laughs> I whittled um, it myself. I whittled it myself. I can't do the teeth whistle thing. That's what I was trying to do. <laughs> Limited uh, to eight copies. Hand whittled. <laughs> yeah. Someone actually did message me a cop a picture of it the other day. And he was like, I was moving and I just found this cassette. And I was like, holy shit. Why do you have that? How do you have that? <laughs> oh. Where'd you get that? Can I get a copy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a copy. <laughs> now I can't stop doing prospector voice. Yeah. There it is. Uh, Anyway, uh, this director, uh, Mari Asado, is fucking great. And the Fatal Frame movie from 2014 is fucking great. It has questionable links to uh, the game, but it's fantastic. And uh, instead of being pervy, it's actually all about female sexuality presented in a very thoughtful way. Oh, go figure. Whoever owned the license probably felt bad and wanted to fix that. But I definitely Only recommend owners here, boys. <laughs> yeah. I definitely recommend that movie. And I, I recommend you on black ghost. This is a great, it all ties it together. You know, it's another like lower budget kind of J horror movie. That's really, really great. Nice. Um, would you recommend yeah. fatal frame one? I would ultimately. I mean, I, like I said, I spent a lot of time in this episode pouring salt all over it and whining, but, um, mm-hmm. I think it is very good. It's just that don't start here. Play the second one first, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I think like the best way to get into that original trio of games is like two and then one and then three. Mm. Because three actually picks up the story and some of the characters from one, um, Mm. which is kind of interesting. And it helps to have played one and know what happened before playing three. But two is sort of in the middle kind of its own thing although it also has ties to it and it's just it's so much more accessible it's so much better mechanically that it's like hard not to tell people just to start there right but i did like this game a lot yeah so i mean fatal free one the story is so compelling that i would sit i would recommend it but there's just so much jank involved it's going to be tough especially for younger players that didn't kind of like live through the survival horror jank era yeah totally Uh, yeah i don't know it's pretty great though the thing i kept thinking though was like if there hadn't been any other games in this series and this was the only one in the series i would totally be more excited about its combat and mechanics yeah it's just because like I know how they are better because the other games did them better. Right. You know, totally. or it's like, I know how they could be better. Mm-hmm. I guess like I'm, I could compare it to something like, uh, Machin X, which is a game I've mentioned on here before. It's like obscure dreamcast first person sword fighting game. Mm. That's like super cool. It's really fun. It's kind of jank, but really, really fun. And I'm sure if there had been a Machin X two that like, did the combat way better i would probably think of that game less fondly because i i can imagine how the combat would be improved by the original creators you know yeah 
but that's like with this game just because I know it gets better so there's certain things that I was like shit why don't I have that like why can't I switch film on the fly why do I have to keep going to third person like god damn it <laughs> yeah you know yeah so I definitely want to give it a little more you know leeway in that regard yeah I feel like a remaster could really fix a lot of its problems too yeah totally I mean like I said even if it's just like a ROM hack that gives you twice the items yeah basically because that's what the super easy mode quote unquote that they added to the Resident Evil remaster is yeah like I dicked around with that a little bit when we did that episode and it's literally just like where you would find one herb you find two yeah. And in that game, it kind of breaks the game because it's like way too fucking easy. But in this game, I think it would actually probably move it a little bit closer to the center because you still have to have good timing and know how to deal with ghosts and stuff, even if you had like more 90 proof film or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like hack in widescreen support, hack in high resolutions, maybe do a texture resolution bump, not critical. Uh, you know, fix the item drop rate, shortcuts so you don't have to go through menus a ton, uh, fix the controls in first person, and I mean, you got something that's super playable. Yeah, no, totally. I I agree 100. percent It's worth it. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like Tecmo's around, right? Tecmo's still doing shit. Koei Tecmo is still doing shit. So yeah, I mean, fucking do it. Yeah, I mean, Fatal Frame as a series isn't doing shit. So like. I don't know, license Night Dive or something to do a remaster. <laughs> well, it's also like, I mean, the last game came out not that long ago, you know. Middle Blackwater came out in what, 14 or 15? Yeah, so it's been about four or five years. We'll see. It's been a while, but it's not like Silent Hill where it's just over. <laughs> yeah. Rip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Anyways, yeah. is it time Anyways. for the Haters Ball Zero Brightness Game Club? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's time for Game Club. What, what is next? Fatal After Fatal Frame. Alan Wake. No. Oh, no. Eternal Darkness. Eternal Darkness. God damn it, James. I'm going to fucking quit during that episode, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, Eternal Darkness. The um, the only GameCube game that matters, right? <laughs> God damn it, James. I know you're fucking with me, and I hate it. <laughs> Eternal Darkness, the the seminal survival horror game on the GameCube, the, the the horror experience on GameCube, besides all the other Resident Evil ports and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna play it. We're gonna do it. And then after that, we're doing Alan Wake because it was free on the Epic Store. I'm gonna take that free <laughs> yeah. shit and run with it. Yeah, dude, get that free shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I've only dabbled in that game so i'm excited to jump in and do the thing yeah and it'll be interesting to play something a little more modern on the show i mean we haven't done that in a while so dude yeah we've been in we've been in ps2 heaven <laughs> bangers month concludes <laughs> yeah bangers month concludes dude yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways throw us some suggestions of what we should be playing sign up for the patreon so we can buy rule of rose uh, <laughs> Uh, hit us up on Facebook and tell us how we're wrong. Hit us up on Instagram. Check out my shitty memes. Hell yeah. Email us your deep, deep thoughts. We've gotten some great emails from listeners lately, and I love it. Yeah, dude. Give us some back and Fan forth. Fan theories. We may have a guest soon, a really cool guest, so we'll see what happens. Hell yeah. And uh, that's about it. Haters. <laughs> hate on, haters. See you next time.